0: So the background to this passage is that there's been exile scattered all over the place and Jesus is being widely spread but often distorted. He's being widely talked about but not always clearly talked about. And so there was a lot of compromise and there was a lot of people saying little things or even bigger things were okay or you could get by. Whereas actually what I believe this passage is bringing us back to is how do we choose the cross and not compromise? How do we live in the full life that God has for us and not just do a bit and get by? The argument in the last chapter, we, had, we were told to make an argument for the hope that we had. I think in this chapter, it's how we are representing or living out the knowledge of this hope. That, please feel free to go back and read 1 Peter 3. In order to choose the cross over compromise, I believe this passage gives us two really practical keys. Now, it may not be clearly obvious to you now, but I, when I was younger, would have been able to beat every single one of you in the 200 metres. It doesn't matter who you are, you might be really good. Unless you're an Olympian, you might be in me. But I used to be very fast, and I remember being at a competition. Have any of you guys heard of the Alexandra Stadium? It's a place where the UK championships are held. I got the privilege of running there once. It was amazing. It was the kind of place where you didn't have someone on the line with a stopwatch doing what they thought was best. When you ran past the line, they gave you your time to two decimal points on a screen. That was flipping awesome. Anyway, I managed to get to the final of a 200 meters. And because I was last place going into the final, i.e. I had the worst time going in. And to be honest, I hadn't saved myself. I was going to lose the race. And I went in. I was like, okay, this is going to be all right. It's fine. I had a rubbish lane. I think I had lane two, which you might think is a good lane, but it's not. Three and four are better. One's okay. Um, Two, not so good. And so I was there in lane two, not only was I the shortest by quite a long way, and I'm not short, but I was the shortest by quite a long way, but everyone else was making lots of noises. Um, hands up. Sorry, I'm a kids and youth worker. Hands up. Who has ever seen cool runnings? Remember the bold guy slaps his head a lot? I had that guy behind me. Okay, and he was doing all this and all this. And I, I thought it couldn't get any worse, and we got down into the blocks. Yeah, I had blocks. I was that kind of level. We got down into the blocks and I heard behind me tss- it was his face. He was making that noise with his face. And then gun went, and we ran. I honestly can't, I got my best time ever. That's a personal best, a PB. Yeah, I know the lingo and everything. A PB, and I don't know if it was because I was fleeing from him or running towards the line, but either way, I got my best time. And the two things I want to talk about from this passage, you ready for this, guys? The two things I want to talk about is what we're supposed to flee from and what we're supposed to run towards. Don't ask me what my time was, because I don't want to show off. Now, before we go into that, I think there's a perspective shift that's going to be really helpful for us, uh, and a perspective shift that will help us approach these areas in the right context, and that is one to do with eternity, focusing towards eternity. The cross, the wonder of the cross, is not only that Jesus died to take the place of the wrong we did, do, or might do, so that he made us a way to have a relationship with God now, but also forever, for eternity. The first verse in this passage: Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffer in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Verse one and two not only remind us what Jesus did for us, but encourages us to. And us about the impact that it has on our earthly lives, but reminding us that the earthly part is just one part. On the, fir- on the line of your sheet, it says, live with, the first point, or the side point, before the other two that I made with that amazing story, is eternity in mind. Live with eternity in mind. Verse 7 says, The end of all things is near. There is an end to earthly suffering and challenges, and there is an eternity with God where we will know perfect harmony. The last part, to God be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The closing statement of this passage that we read today is reminding us about eternity. That God's status is forever and ever. And when it comes to choosing cross over compromise, it's important to shift to an eternal perspective. This world is momentary in comparison to eternity. And so how are we setting ourselves up for the bigger chunk of our existence or the better chunk of our existence with eternity in mind um Ian Dibble, Rhymes with Bible, came and spoke on Saturday morning of our church weekend um, at home. And he, he did an illustration where he got a Bible or a book, I think it was a Bible, and he said, this is the width of the Bible. And he talked about how going, I think he either said to the door or all the way out to the common, that if, our, if the life that we know in total, including eternity, is in a timeline, then the width of this Bible is what we have here on earth. And everything out into the common is everything else. It's important to have a perspective shift as we look at what we should flee, from and what we should run towards it gives us hope it helps us i think so verse three if you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do living in debauchery lust drunkenness orgies carousing and detestable idolatry they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you Uh Uh-oh, it's one of those lists again. You know, the ones that we read and think, oh, it's okay, I'm doing four out of five of those pretty well. I haven't had an orgy in ages. And all of these different things, and you think, well, you kind of let yourself get away with it. You think, well, actually, I know that I'm doing pretty well at some of those. Some of them, you're like, I actually don't know what that word means. I actually don't know what that is. Don't Google it. Just don't Google it. Ask somebody older and wiser than you. They'll help you out. It will be fine. But actually, we do have apathy in the context of lists like this. We do ignore words, even though it's one list. It's all in one list. But we do ignore parts of it. We do ignore parts of it. I think apathy is a friend of compromise. I think apathy is a friend of compromise. It's all the same list. And one thing I noticed as I looked at this list was how often I justify and make acceptable some of these things. Telling myself I'm weak or everyone else does it. Well, I've been good for ages, so one slip-up won't hurt. Another common thread is that all of these things can often lead to compromising situations and less control to choose. And if we're talking about choosing between compromise and the cross, let's give ourselves every opportunity to make the right choice. Choosing the cross way before compromise even becomes an option. Choosing the cross way before we even get to something that could be sin or could be difficult for us or those around us. Let's take alcohol. Is it wrong to drink? No. But are we in control when we've had too much to drink? Not, not always. Where do we stop it? Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That's what that word's in there, isn't it? Yeah, there we go. Um, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I think Clapham, amongst other places maybe, has made drunkenness the acceptable sin. The one we allow because maybe it's cultural. It helps close the deal. It takes us up the work ladder. It helps us loosen up. It makes us feel more us. It gives us confidence. We've spent enough time, verse 4. Enough time living this way. Choosing the cross means in response to its just culture, we say Romans 12, verse 1. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Success at work. We look at Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord and trust him with the desires of our hearts. I want to feel more me. We remind ourselves that Ephesians 2, verse 10, describes us as God's workmanship, created to do good works. The real us is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. When we're like, I don't, it gives me confidence, okay? Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's choose God's word over the words of others. Let's choose cross over compromise. So we have this list. How do we flee from these, these things? How do we flee from them? We get inspired about Jesus. We fall in love with the one who first picked up a cross for us. We get on our knees. We pray and we ask for help. We get involved. We run after something else. Paul talks about forgetting what is behind and seeking the prize to which Christ has called us heavenwards. We run towards some specific things and I'm going to unpack those in a moment. But if you'll allow me, in fact I'm going to do it anyway so it doesn't matter. I'm going to go on a little side point. Um, My side point is this, it's accountability. I've been accountable to the same person since I was in year seven, which is like 11 or 12 years old. And that's more than half my life. I know I'm very young. It's more than half my life. And actually, it has been integral to my development as a Christian. It's been integral to my development as somebody getting married, as somebody dating, and all different areas of my life. My accountability relationship with this person has been integral. I wonder, do you have a relationship like that with somebody? Accountability about where we know we compromise most often, where we're susceptible to compromise, where we find it very difficult to choose the way of Jesus over the way of this world. Fleeing sin needs to be deliberate, and it needs to be intentional. We need to put steps in place. With, uh, with the person I'm accountable to, we have a flag system. and What this basically means is this is that we have lots of stuff that we have not done yet, but we really, really don't want to do. So we haven't actually sinned, we haven't done anything, but we don't want to do it, so we have a flag system. I'm going out tonight with friends, this is a group that in the past I've got drunk with, there's a flag for you. So we'll call each other and we'll say, hey, I've got a flag about this, can you text me just before I go, can you pray for me about this? Or, right, I find this person really attractive, I'm not lusting. I'm not in an orgy. Sorry for saying that again. I'm not in anything like that, but there's a flag here. Okay, there's a flag before we've got there. So choosing to not compromise before you even get to the choice of compromising. So I've got, it's on my phone because I'm cool. I've um, I've got a list. This is a list of questions that I've asked with this accountability person. And they're quite intense, but let's go for it. It says, and this is how we cover our bases. We don't actually do this list of questions anymore. We work around the idea of this list of questions. It says, have you spent consistent time in the scriptures and in prayer? Have you had any flirtatious or lustful attitudes towards anyone? Have you misused your finances by buying things you don't need at the expense of your tithes, offerings, or other responsibilities? Have you spent quality time with your family and friends? Have you applied yourself 100% best in your work? Have you told any half-truths or outright lies, putting yourself in a better light to those around you, oh dear. Have you taken care of your body through regular physical exercise and proper eating and sleeping well? Have you allowed any person or circumstance to rob you of your joy? Are you ready for this last one? Is there anything else you're hiding that I haven't asked you? We're covering our bases. If you, if you, if you think that's helpful, I can give you that. That's cool. But now it's organic. And I think it's important about having an intentional relationship where somebody is allowed to call you on stuff. How difficult it is when we get into a cycle of sin and there's no one to say, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Can I challenge you? Verse 4 reminds us that fleeing these things is countercultural. It won't always be understood. It might even lead to being out the loop. However, verse 5 immediately reminds us to have an eternal perspective. It's emphasizing that even if we feel marginalized, victims of injustice, we can know that justice will be done. It will be very serious for those who aren't trusting in Jesus. Looking back at the passage, if you want to, verse 7 to verse 11, is the stuff that I believe we're called to run towards. Will we choose the path of compromise or the path of the cross? Verse 7 is all about the prayer element, getting on our knees. The end of all things, this is verse 7, is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, which slightly paraphrased says, If my people who are called by your name will turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I, I will hear from heaven, but not only will I hear, I will heal their land. There's an amazing promise of what happens in Scripture when we pray. There's an amazing promise of what happens when we involve God in everything that is going on, when we decide to say, I'm not going to do this alone, I'm going to be intentional about asking for help. Later on in the passage, it talks about us not doing things in our own strength. It talks about that all the way through the Bible as well. That's the first thing that we run towards. We run towards prayer. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Run towards grace and love. All right, Josh, every Christian knows to run towards grace and love. They're like our two buzzwords. But actually, it's practicing a posture of grace. It's loving people. It's don't judge people. It's recognizing the difference between a friendship that has given permission to challenge and one that has not given permission to challenge. My accountability person, 100%. He can challenge me whenever he wants to. Fred Bloggs, who I've never met, it's not going to go so well for him. I'm not going to hurt him. I'm just, just not going to listen. Um, who are you that person to? Do you have somebody who you've given permission to speak into your life? Now, that can happen in lots of different contexts. So I would encourage that there is a really important thing, even as if you're married, that there is somebody of the same sex who is speaking into your life like this as well as your partner. I'd encourage that it's really important to have, that you have a heart that understands the grace that we've been shown by Jesus first and that as a natural response wants to change because of how loved we are and loving each other enough to gently point out the areas where you see compromise but being willing to go on the journey with them. Journey with them in love from a posture of grace. If you have permission, then challenge people. If you don't have permission, then don't. Let's stop for a moment. Do you have somebody who is able to challenge you in your life? And if you have, I understand that these friendships can take time to build. So I'm not saying you need to find someone right now and open up your deepest, darkest secrets to them tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be intentional about friendships where you allow people who know Jesus to speak into your life and where you are willing to do the same for others. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't wait for church to put on an event. We should and we will. And FYI, it's going to rock and you should come along but please don't use us as an excuse to not practice hospitality personally. Are you willing to interrupt the haven of your home for somebody who needs Jesus or somebody who needs a friend? Doing life with each other. Encourage each other away from compromising towards the cross. Remind each other of eternity. Or just have a burger and just chill out and play a board game. It can be that as well. It doesn't always need to be about Josh's sermons, however good they are. That was a joke. It's worth recognizing that there are seasons where this is more or less possible. So use your common sense. Allow the Holy Spirit to prompt you. Run towards hospitality. So each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I told you not to put that up. Jago said I wasn't allowed to. Take it. Thank you. So one of the ways you could do it, I suppose, is serving in children's and youth team. But there's so many other things that you can do for this point. Simply put, our gifts are not for serving others. Are not just, sorry, are for serving others. Let's rewind. Are for serving others and not for our exclusive enjoyment. Serving is not just about giving money. It's about getting involved. And actually, I want to encourage you. That there's so many areas in the life of this church where you can serve. Some of them are super simple and don't take up very much time. Some of them are not. I encourage you to pray. What am I able to give in this season? What am I able to do to serve? I'd encourage you to look outside of the church as well. There are many things going on in our community, the Harbin Street Pastors just being two of them, that are supporting Clapham. I'd also encourage you to have a posture of service that you are a, you're serving other people around you, even in your workplaces, however not Christian those areas are. Serve each other. What are you good at? What do you enjoy? Get stuck in. Run towards serving. Leaders are servers. Jesus served. Be like Jesus Serve. It's like a little math equation, just less clear than the ones I did at school. Verse 11, if anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We need to recognize who we represent. Realize that he is with us. That when we speak, we have the potential to bring the life of Jesus into people's lives. That we're not trying to do it in our own strength. That we are doing it because the Holy Spirit is in us and he's given us everything we need. To do that, run towards God's word. I think when Peter was looking at this, he may have been thinking back to Matthew 5, verse 15, which says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's important that we are recognizing that what we do and how we act when we don't compromise has an impact on those around us. When we choose, cross over compromise, it will get noticed. It says, it, the passage says that we may even receive abuse for that. But I want to encourage you that more testimonies that, than not start with, I noticed there was something different. And I think a lot of the time, the things that people notice that are different are areas where we've chosen not to compromise, however awkward that is in the context of our work, however awkward that is in the context of our friendship group. So I want to challenge and encourage you tonight that Jesus in you is, is everything you need to do this really, really well.